Hey everyone, real quick before we jump in, I absolutely love doing this podcast and I truly hope you've enjoyed listening. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would show your support by going to the anchor link and then clicking the support button. Either a one-time donation or, even better, a small monthly donation would be very much appreciated. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Karen Isn't Always Right. My guest today is Sherelle Owen. Sherelle is an up-and-coming general manager with Cinemark Theaters, as well as being a fellow Kansas City Chiefs fan. Go Chiefs! She came on the show and shared a career progression, which included some serious determination. We also talked about the importance of trusting your team and being genuine to guests. I really enjoyed talking with her, and I hope you enjoy listening. Here's Sherelle. Hey there, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. Welcome to Karen Isn't Always Right. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. We had our technical difficulties for everyone listening. Uh, we tried multiple <laughs> times. Was it last week or the week before? Uh, to the week you before. On. And I, I, I think it was like 30 minutes worth of troubleshooting. Oh and what, I just don't know. <laughs> and you, went the, you definitely went the extra mile trying to help figure it out, but... Because I, I totally thought it was me and I was getting nervous. Like, well, great. <laughs> never going to ask me to do this again. Well, I was getting frustrated because, you know, I want people to want to come on and be a guest. And I was worried that you were going to be like, fuck this. This guy can't get his shit together. So I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so. stuff happens. I mean, you know, you run a theater, like yeah. stuff happens all the time. And when it does, you're just like, oh my gosh, like, let's just get this working. Let's just go yeah. with it. Um, so I understand that things happen, but I also understand that maybe I'm doing something that isn't right. So yeah. not like surrender <laughs> projector and you made you fucked up. So at least we don't have an audience sitting here waiting live. <laughs> at least I know like how to fix those issues. Right. This was like, oh my gosh, I'm one of those people that can't join a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get too far, tell, tell everyone who you are and kind of how we know each other and what you're about. Okay, well, my name is Sherelle Owen. Um, I think you and I have mostly have mutual friends mm -hmm. in common. Um, I think I met you last convention, I'm pretty sure, like officially, like I always knew like who you were and you know, there's always names that pop up over the course of the years and, and seeing names and emails and stuff like that. So, um, but I, I officially met you through our friend Heath Mm -hmm. um, at a convention and uh, it was that and him tagging us on Chiefs post Chief stuff, on yeah. <laughs> so yeah. anything that has to do with the Kansas City Chiefs somehow you and I were like tagging these posts yep. but never really talked at all <laughs> yeah yeah that's how it is between an, another buddy of mine who's a huge Patriots fan and he and I were roommates when I lived out in California, but he includes me in this group text with like two or three other guys that are Chiefs fans because he likes to give a shit all the time, especially when the Chiefs were not good. Um, and the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now the, the tables have turned, so. Remember those years very uh, well. <laughs> oh yeah, my, like my whole goddamn life. So, <laughs> um, so <laughs> you are a GM, right? Yep. I'm a GM. I've been a GM for seven years come next month. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And where are and you? I've been with the company for 12 years. Okay. Okay. Where do you live? What's your exact um, address? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Oklahoma, okay. um, but I was born and raised in Nevada, Carson okay. City, Nevada. How'd you become a Chiefs yeah. fan? Um, well, you know, Nevada doesn't have an NFL team and their college football is garbage sorry to whoever's from nevada listening um but in nevada you had these california teams mm -hmm. and i followed at this time when i was watching football as a kid it was joe montana who was yeah. famous yeah. and then he moved to kansas city and we moved to can well we moved to missouri and eventually made it up to kansas city so it kind of 
flew from there. Yeah. Like that's where it started. So, <laughs> so met, 14 years is when you did. I met him several times. He used to come into a theater that I worked at all the time. And so I've got a chance to like talk to him a bunch of times and stuff like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, is he really as cool. nice as everyone says he is? He was very, very nice. His okay. wife was a little standoffish, but he was very nice. Yeah. <laughs> His wife was kind of caring. She's really quiet. I'm really quiet. Maybe and a that lot was of it. I'm not approachable, but really, I'm I'm very approachable. I just don't know how to talk to people. <laughs> do you have R, Do you have RBF? Because that doesn't help. I, I don't know. Like, other people are going to have to tell me. I've never heard that um, before, but it's very possible. Maybe they just didn't want to hurt my feelings. Yeah, I struggle with it. I used to have people tell me all the time, you should smile more because you look pissed. Like, when I would, I walk with purpose, like, when I'm at work. If I'm walking down the hall, like, I'm on a mission, you know? And people were like, are you pissed about something? It's like, no, man, I'm just trying to get to Auditorium 4 so I can help clean. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, it's either that or when I was a kid, I used to, I'm I'm one of five kids and, um, and I have a twin sister and she is the personality that's very big and very open and and very personable. And I was always the one that when I walked, I would look at my shoes Mm -hmm. and I would look down at the ground. I would never make eye contact. I, I don't think I would have ever been in the position to be personable or in a a role of authority of any kind if it weren't for my job now. Yeah. I just don't think so. Like yeah, I mean, it kind of forces to, you to, to be. Yeah, it really yeah. does. Yeah. It really does. So, uh, yeah, like thinking back to how I was and, and where I am now, I'm just like, night and day. Who right? the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that job is like, it's this weird thing because you need confidence to be in a yeah. role of a GM, but you, yeah. Sometimes, but the the role of being a GM also gives you confidence, and so um, it, it really does. Like I definitely learned um, by being a GM how I could be not different in a way, but just more comfortable to face those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't before. Like it, it's easy to be more personable to people that you don't know because technically you're probably never going to see them again yeah but to colleagues and stuff like that it was probably it was harder and it's always helpful to be friends with people that have big personalities because you could kind of blend into their background a little bit and then they kind of pull you into conversation and you don't have to lead the whole thing yeah yeah the pressure's off mm -hmm. (laughs) now if we're talking about uh our own theaters and leading like meetings and stuff no problem because then you're always you know talking to your staff and you're talking to your management team, so you kind of know them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, it's like, okay, you you take the lead role yeah. <laughs> in conversations. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and then there's that yeah. that that happy medium you have to find because you don't want to you know go over into the overconfident slash arrogant side of things, yeah. you know. And so you just have to balance, yeah. find that balance in there. Um, yeah. And you don't want to come off. You don't. You also don't want to go the other direction and be meek. Or, or insecure or, you know, constantly questioning yourself and your own leadership, because then that, that's going to, that's not going to tell your, that's going to tell your team that's like, well, does she know what she's doing? Does she feel Right, exactly. Because they, they need to feel comfortable in whatever you're telling them to do. And if they don't, then they're probably going to follow some other advice or, or their own, you know, their own instruction. Um, so that's something I've definitely learned from on top of that I was always a person that wanted to if I was going to be a leader lead by example mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't just wanting to be a boss I was always wanting to just you know be down in the trenches with yeah. my staff yeah. and um, because I always wanted that when I was a staff member and I yeah. didn't really get that so I understood what it felt like to not have that so I definitely would provide something uh, different when I became a GM. I think that's a tough balance too sometimes because <clears throat> I agree I think there are times to really be in the trenches and be right alongside your people but then you also have to lead by example and doing your own tasks and your own responsibilities well mm-hmm. you know and 
it can be tough if you're if i've known gms that are in the trenches almost too much to the point where they neglect some of their actual primary oh, responsibilities <laughs> and so again yeah you have to find that balance in there so that you know you're not ignoring your responsibilities you need to be able to trust the team that you built yes and if you can't give them that time and, and space to grow in and to be the kind of manager that you know that they can be and you're always doing stuff for them or um you know just answering questions that they should be able to answer because you've armed them with that information absolutely then you know they don't feel like they're being trusted to mm -hmm. handle those situations especially when you're not there so yeah it gives them to to grow yeah and uh after when i took over my second theater that's when i started to figure it out more <laughs> yeah well and that's why you have to progress that's why we don't just put people in you know a 20 screen you know 1.5 oh my gosh in attendance kind yeah. of <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah, I, I, those stepping stones of you know leadership and, and gaining your own um your own uh teams and, and then moving on from theater to theater is pretty important and yes. now i totally appreciate that that's how it is yeah uh, well, you got to be able to make your mistakes you know and it's better to make a mistake obviously early you know in a, in a maybe a smaller slower building um yeah. and learn from that and grow i mean it's no different than like being a kid you know as, as a kid you're gonna make mistakes but you don't have any major responsibility so it's not going to affect as much you know, I do feel sorry sometimes, though, for for the employees or assistant manager teams for a brand new man GM. You know, like I certainly feel sorry for my first team because I was an idiot. I mean, I just was I thought I knew everything. <laughs> I used to be a Sam at Heath's Theater. That was my last theater as a Sam. Right. And then I moved yeah. on, and then I moved on to be a GM. And I came from the busiest theater in the company and went to this theater thinking I knew everything. And I, I was made very aware very quickly that I did not know everything. So yeah. um, it's good to make those mistakes early. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I was, uh, and I can go back into how it progressed to where I am now, but I can tell you right now, when I became a Sam and, and to a GM, looking back, I was not ready. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that somebody had confidence that I would grow to be ready. But I was more of a, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to find out and mm -hmm. I will be better than I was the day before. Yeah. But I, yeah, the practicum and the Sam, or the SAM test is a lot more in depth that I wish I would have had yeah. before I became a yeah. But, you know, I think, um, I, I've run across so many people that, that I'm trying to develop who who just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. And it's like, look, it's like a lot of things in life. It's like if you were about to have a kid, like nobody's ever ready to be a parent. Like you're just not. You just right. you just do yeah. it, you know, and and pray. <laughs> but like, you know, it's the same thing with becoming a GM. Sometimes you just got to take that plunge and then you're going to learn yeah. and you're going to grow, hopefully. I mean, obviously, there's people out there that did hopefully. not. Hopefully. God Yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully it's not like, you know, people look at those, those quarterbacks that are drafted into the NFL. And everybody's mm -hmm. putting all this money into this guy, hoping to, hoping to God he's going to be the number one draft pick that they're all hoping he's going to be. And sometimes they can't make that transition. And I've seen that. No. Um, you know, to Sam's becoming GMs and they, they fall on their face. Yeah. But sometimes the other way around, like, I hate to use this guy as an example, but Tom Brady, you know, is a good example of somebody that nobody had any confidence in and ends up becoming the best. And sometimes you see that with, Oh my God, no. <laughs> and sometimes you see that happen with managers too. So, so yeah. tell me about your kind of your progression. Like how, you know, how did you get your start? I became, um, I, I first heard about Cinemark when I moved to Kansas city, um, the palace, yeah. Palace was the theater that, you know, I was a part of, um, just I as a customer. Yeah. I helped close it. I, was I, there to I close saw that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was there to close it down. Um, so when I moved to, uh, Tulsa, um, there was a Cinemark in Sand Springs mm -hmm. and I frequented that theater 
as a, a customer. Um, but I actually didn't join um, Cinemark until the recession in okay. 2000. Um, and at this time, a lot of people, as you know, lost their jobs, laid off. My husband happened to be the one that was part of a major company and was let go. Okay. Um, so because of that, it kind of forced me in a situation where I wanted to help make money. Um, but at this time, I had zero marketable skills. I was never that person that thought I would go to college. Um, I always went from, you know, customer service job to customer service job, but I was never really comfortable in it. So um, come 2008, when I was kind of forced in this position to, you know, make some money, I applied at different jobs all over the place. And mm -hmm. I remember driving up to the parking lot of the Sand Springs Theater as a way to just fill out applications for like hotels or something nearby. Yeah. Um, and then I was just looking at the building like, well, that would be a fun job. You know, I'm 24 years old. I have four-year-old, almost five-year-old twin boys. Like I loved going to the movies when I was a kid. And those times that I actually went were few and far between. I mean, it was expensive yeah, to take yeah. kids to go see a movie. So I was like, maybe, you know, I can apply here and I can take my kids to see movies. That's all I really cared about yeah. at that time. So um, I actually, I go in and I get a paper application from a concessionist and I fill it out. Um, and then I come back in and... I tell them, okay, can I talk to somebody? Like, can I talk to a manager? And, and usually, and now that I'm in this position, we're like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll call you. We need right. you. Right. And if we want to interview you. But at this time, I was so discouraged with not having a job that I wasn't taking no for an answer. And for me, not having this big, strong personality, I was really putting myself out there. Yeah. So the concessionist was like, Actually, my GM is right there, and at the time, he's not with the company anymore, um, but at the time, he was walking out the door. He, he was on a mission to go wherever, and I handed my application, and I asked him if I can talk to him, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm out the door for the day, but if he'll just come back another day, and I blocked his path. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked his path, and I said, sir, if I haven't convinced you in five minutes, to hire me you'll never see me again. and at this time I am desperate I need this job yeah so he stops for a second he's like okay five minutes that's all I have and he grabs my my application and we go at the end of concession and talk and so he's talking to me he's looking over my customer service experience and he asks this question which is so annoying he asks why should I hire you and I'm like, great. I'm in yeah, a but... position where I have to fill myself. Yep. Like, give me a <laughs> And, you know, like, again, I am not that kind of person that's like, yeah, you yeah. should hire me. And these are the reasons why. But I straight up lied to his face. And I was like, listen, I know the concession is where you guys make your money. If I haven't helped make money, then you don't have to hire me, but I guarantee you, which is stupid because I didn't really know. Right. How do you know that? I can, yeah. I can sell more than three of your concessionists and I can work harder than those three combined. Totally. But he probably loved the confidence. He probably did. And I don't know what my face looked like. I don't know if it was the desperation, if he saw a little spark of confidence. I'm not entirely who, sure, but he's like, Who was okay. it? Who was the JT Mathis? Hmm, okay. Yeah, he ran uh, Shreveport after he left okay. uh, Sand Springs. Okay. I don't, I don't know how long he was with the company. I don't imagine terribly long. What did you say his last name was? Sorry. Mathis. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't know everybody <laughs> works for the company, but yeah, it doesn't seem. I thought it was going to be Shane, but um, different time period. I guess. No, no, no. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, he was like, "Okay, well, uh, can you start this weekend?" And that nice. weekend was 
the dark night. Oh, shit. it was opening weekend of dark night. And oh my goodness. Bet you worked <laughs> your ass was, off. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And it, and it was a situation where I come into work and I have a good 10 minutes and I'm a closing concessionist at this point. I have about 10 minutes to train. Mm-hmm. And then they throw me on a register, a concession register, and said, "Good luck." Good to luck. You. Yep, that's and how I got my training too. <laughs> over the course of that night, I transitioned to box office. Like I don't know how that happened, but I remember being scared shitless. Like, oh my gosh, I am going to fail, and they're not going to ask me back. Um, so. At that night, and this is before combos, concession combos were a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all about the cup ratios mm-hmm. and the the t- uh, bag and, and tub ratios. Yeah. Um, so I guess he had pulled my ratios, and I killed it. Not trying to like hey, brag, man. brag on it, speak on it. <laughs> and uh, so I was really happy to know that I didn't fly. <laughs> Like I really could upsell. Yeah, but you know the great thing about when you're when you're having to speak on the fly like that is it's really difficult to lie when you're put on the spot like that. And you know yourself better than anybody else. So if you if you're saying you're gonna work your ass off in in, when you're on the spot like that, it's pretty likely that you're gonna work your and especially because you needed this job so bad. I mean, how many how many people do we come across all the time that have sort of this entitled mindset? and and are really scared of hard work you know and yet you and i probably yeah. you know leroy mitchell's story where this is a kid who was selling onions yeah. on the side of a road and had his own yeah. private theater at 18 years old it's like that's hard work man so that is hard work that up. is dedication yeah. that is dedication and um so from that point on i just kept working my butt off and mm-hmm. then there was um an opportunity for management three weeks later Oh wow! Um, yeah, and and I, a part of me wants to think, well, it was just because I was the only person of age mm. that could have possibly be in it, and then the other parts, like, well, I actually bust my butt. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's really easy to compare, you know, people that just do this after school job, and then there's people that really really care mm-hmm. and, and want to be there. I had it all. Like I was reliable. I would pick up whatever shifts I possibly could if it meant more money to bring home and put food on the table. So, um, it was, it was cool that he asked me and I was, yeah, I was blown away. Um, that, and I started becoming, you know, uh, scared because I, I didn't have that personality to lead. Um, and I was kind of worried about that, but yeah, three weeks later I became an assistant and, um, it was crazy. It was a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, at that time, my GM had transitioned to another theater mm-hmm. and I had a new GM and, um, and that was pretty, you know, pretty rough too, because I was used to having somebody that, you know, was down in the trenches with us and then um you know how it is coming into a new building like the assistants are just not entirely sure of how the next gm is going yeah. to be yeah, and i had those yeah. yeah yeah is that gm still with you don't have to say who it is if you don't want but are they still with the company no no okay they're they're not with the company anymore yeah. um but i became a uh, sam probably a year later okay and uh that was difficult, but I was also the kind of person who wanted to learn everything I possibly could. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be the valuable employee because that meant hours, Yeah, you know? And yeah. so I made sure that I learned how to thread up projectors, how to do inventory, the admin stuff. Yeah, the more um, you know, man. The more you see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and it just became an easier transition to become a Sam. But uh, I never wanted to be a GM, actually. Yeah. I think that's a lot of people, man. I think I've talked to so many people, not just on this podcast, but just over the course of my life and career and stuff, who... You know, you know know how it is. You'll talk to assistant managers. Ah, this isn't going to be my career or whatever. And so it wasn't mine. 
I was going to school for something completely different and then it just kind of happened. I mean, I I know executives in our company that had that mindset and now they're vice presidents in our company. You know, it's just crazy how it works. I think movie theaters is that one, that, that kind of job. And there's probably others that are like this because movie theaters is what I know, but it's, you, you either love it or you don't, but you see more people really love it and they yeah. sucked into it. It's like the mob almost, you know, like if you try to get away, <laughs> you get sucked back in some, yeah. kind of crazy. So. You really do. Yeah. You really do. And, and that's, that's how I felt at first. Like when I became a CM, I, I had dreams of, of maybe being a GM. I felt like I was certainly good enough to be one at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was going to school to be a teacher yeah. and my husband was going to school um, to be an electrical engineer. So I had time to kind of figure that out. But by the time my fifth year with Cinemark rolled around, I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. I was done with the leadership. I was done with not necessarily the company, but I was done with the theater and I was ready to close that chapter. Yeah. Um, so it, it honestly took a conversation I had during my, uh, my five-year watch lunch that I had with Mr. Casey. And oh, Mr. my favorite guy. Oh, I love Mr. Casey. He was, my, he was my GM uh, that, made, that pushed me to be a GM. Really? <laughs> yeah, and then he was my last RVP until now, so. He's a great guy. I, I love Mr. Casey. But Mr. Casey and Mr. Street uh, invited me to go out to lunch with them and the uh, GMs of the area, yeah. uh, which I thought was super cool to even be a part of that. Um, but this honest conversation that I had with Mr. Street kind of changed my mindset on mm-hmm. what I was going to do with my career with Sunmark. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, do you want to be a GM? He asked me that. And I was like, no. And these are the reasons why. I just, I, I feel like I'm just done. And he said, I hate to break it to you, but if you've been in it for five years, like, why not take that extra step? Yeah. Like, see what happens. And, uh, you know, if you're in it for five years, you are in it. You are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I thought about it and I was like, well, maybe. And, and it kind of just opened up my heart to that, to that possibility again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at this time, it's when Cinemark was acquiring another chain. They were okay. acquiring a record. Oh, yeah. And Mr. Casey had put me on a SWAT team to be a part of that transition. And I was paired with a lovely GM. Um, Leanne Alanis from Texas, and we did the transition for a theater in Connecticut. Okay. And just watching her work and being a part of her team was so great. Like I, it made me want to not only be a GM, but also be the kind of person that could be a part of these openings mm-hmm. or a part of these SWAT teams, so I can train people on what I know about Cinemark and show them why I love it. Um, So that was a a great experience to have. And then sure enough, um, some movement happened within the area and suddenly my own theater came open and I took a chance, even though I knew it was really hard to, you know, be a GM of the theater that you started in. Yeah, that (laughs) happened to me. That was my first theater was the- I didn't realize how uncommon that was. But yeah, the the opportunity presented itself. And at that point, I figured like, well, I can try and get it or I can try and and not get it and still have some time to figure out what I want to do. So um, I didn't think I was going to get it at all. And then after I got that phone call from Casey, I was just like, holy crap like mm-hmm. oh my god i'm the gm for this theater <laughs> yeah yeah you know i so think for my gm too there's a couple of things in it first of all anybody listening right now uh she keeps referring to mr street and that's charlie street so if you haven't listened to it already you should go back and listen to charlie street's episode and yeah. that'll give you all 
some insight into what she's talking about and, and why he's such a great dude. Um, but yeah, and I also think that when you're, I, th I think I know who your last GM was. Um, when you're kind of stuck in a theater that's got a GM that's maybe not the greatest of leaders, um, it can pull you down a little bit and it can either demoralize you um, or, or minimize your, your desire to move on because you're, you're not seeing the best. And I also think that's what's great about going on a SWAT is you, get, you, get, um, uh, you can be inspired by these other people that you're surrounded by that are, that are all working at fairly yeah. high levels. Like you don't get put on a SWAT team if you're just a mediocre manager like you're supposed to be no, yeah. the best you know and so now you're you're getting exposure to these people and you're like you can see oh okay that's that's what it's supposed to be like you know this is what mm -hmm. makes this a great company not this other aspect that I see on a day-to-day -day basis so yeah it was it was a, it was a really great experience um and it gave me an opportunity to figure out what kind of GM I wanted to be and I kind of emulated Leanne because she mm -hmm. was so she was so wonderful um and my first year was rough it's like first year of marriage almost yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. kind of learning your way yeah like I know <laughs> <laughs> I know um but yeah it was it was really rough and the transition between being an assistant with your assistants and then being the GM um over your assistants that wasn't that wasn't rough. I, I was extremely oh, lucky that the transition was easier because well, they want to change. Yeah, they they knew exactly how I was and how I worked, mm -hmm. and um, it, it truly was a team effort. And and I always believe that, like as a GM, you are only as good and as strong as the people that you have behind you. Absolutely. Like they are the ones that make you look good. <clears throat> and I carried that throughout my even today. Yeah. So. The yeah, transition. You, yeah, you hit it right on the head. I mean, you really are only as good as your team, but the team is only as good as how much you develop them too, to a degree. So, exactly. you know, so it goes, it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely learned in my theater. Um, but yeah, the, the transition between that, uh, that first theater and the second theater were vastly different, yeah. vastly different. At the time, my uh, GM uh, that I had over me, she transitioned to another uh, newer theater in the area. And um, there would be moments where I'd call, you know, my cinnamon, like I would go call her like, hey, what did I do? And then, you know, cause I didn't know anybody um, in the area that I felt comfortable to help me. Mm -hmm. um, so like maintenance issues, you know, like when I submit this ticket, like all of this stuff. So at the same time, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to, to reach out to her. Um, but I also wanted to learn how to do things on my own. So my first year was a little rough because I wanted to learn on my own. Yeah. And if I didn't know the answer, then I would go to things like, you know, SharePoint. <laughs> the guidelines, yeah, stuff like that. Guidelines. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think I it's mean, good. That's a good source of information. Yes. So I always have people go and, and look at SharePoint. Um, but I was a GM there until, oh gosh, when was this? I became a GM in 2013, uh, the year of the Disney convention. What year was that? I think that was 15. 15. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was it was uh, 2015. Um, again, some surprise openings and the a bigger theater um, in the area came open. And at this time, the timing was right for anybody that wanted to move up. And I knew that it would have probably been a good opportunity for me to move up, but I didn't feel comfortable just because of who, I just didn't feel comfortable just because of who ran it before. And I didn't think that I was ready to run it. Okay. Um, like, you know, the person that opened that building was uh, a friend of mine, Stephen Jones, really mm -hmm. great GM. Yeah, and, then, great and then Heath Poe, and then, you know, there was some transition to where the theater came open and, and now, like, do I apply for this theater? 
like, would I be any good? Would I be as good as them? Probably not. <laughs> like they were up here and I was just down here. Um, so at the time I decided to not apply for it. And I got a text randomly from a friend of mine who's like, why haven't you applied for that theater? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, random like yeah. <laughs> how did you know I didn't apply for the theater yeah. and I was telling like I just I don't think that I'm ready um I don't think that the timing is right I don't think that I'm the right person to turn this team around like I'm just not ready so he's talking to me and he's giving me some advice and and I'm listening but at the same time you know I'm, I'm firmly believing that this is not my theater this is not my opportunity and then I get a surprise, in my mind, a surprise meeting with my RL at the time. And I'm just like, right. <laughs> <laughs> now he's in my office and he's looking at me for a little bit. And then he asks me, why haven't you applied for that theater? Because obviously, like, I'm one of the people that are in this area, it only makes sense the natural progression. It does, yeah. But, like, I tell him my reasons for not doing it, and this is probably the first time I felt comfortable approaching my RL and just kind of pouring my heart out, like, of why I felt like I wasn't a good fit, and he listened, and then he gave me, you know, advice, Mm -hmm. and then after he left, I kind of thought about it. And I was like, well, what, what do I have to lose? Like, there are a lot of interests in this building. Um, I might as well just give it a shot. But the deadline rolls around. And I'm really thinking about it. I have my email expressing interest ready to go. And I'm just like, am I gonna do this? I don't even know. And I I think I waited and you might, I might have to ask him. (laughs) Like, what time I submitted this email, but it was deadline, and I just hit send, and like, oh my god, and there we go. So uh, that's funny. So I mean, look, if you've got an RL sitting in your office asking, "Are you going to apply for this?" You might want to apply for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know, (laughs) I know, and that's one of those things where sometimes I get in my own way, like of, of progressing. So I submit that email and, and he gives me my interview. And again, this question comes up, why Might should you? I pick you? Yeah. And it was just like flashbacks like of when I first started. Um, but this time my, my answer was different. Yeah. Um, my answer was more of, well, I know that these other people that I know personally have applied they're great GMs. They would be a great fit for this theater. I just know how I I know how I work. And I know that even though I'm not shooting for perfection because that's too stressful, I know that I will be better than I was the day before. And I don't know if that sold him, but it's a good answer. I read that book. <laughs> yeah, it's a good answer. Yeah. And and that was good. But that theater, which is the same one I'm currently running, that theater, I probably grew the most as a GM because at this time I was taking over a theater that had a lot of turnover in management and I was practically building a management team from scratch. I had one Sam that stuck with me and is still with me and, and he's great. And together he and I really just built a, a new team but that's man, a challenge for weird. sure man that's that can be brutal I, I've taken a couple of theaters where that's happened where you've had you know I've had like 80 percent turnover in the first couple of months yeah. you know and then this situation I mean I got to the theater I'm at now like five days before the shutdown and I don't really know my team my theater manager actually comes from Ural's neck of the woods she used to work for Stephen and in Tulsa she used to work at Oklahoma City as well um Benton. yeah Benton. yeah yeah and uh she's great and so I've gotten to know her mm-hmm. but beyond that yeah, she I don't really know and and you know if we keep pushing our opening dates I may not know this team because <laughs> eventually they may have to move on and you know obviously my desire is that we can hold on to these people and and they'll want to they'll yeah. want to return but 
uh, it's certainly nerve wracking, you know, um, and I don't like starting over with a whole new team. <laughs> so, you know, you, I'm, although I'm not enjoy it. <laughs> no, no. Although, you know, there is something to be said for, I think, um, building your team, you know, and developing yeah. your team. That's one of the reasons I like opening theaters so much is because you Love direct everything from the very beginning. It's all you and your team, you know, good or bad, whatever the end result is. I mean, it obviously never ends, but like whatever that, results are that's you and your team you know and you're the one that's been open to building but i've helped open a building and so i can see how exciting that would be um i'm hoping one day i get that opportunity but yeah that when it's your team like that's something to be proud of especially when you've built them yeah um because when i came into that building there were four sands there and after a while there was one <laughs> yeah yeah but before the shutdown i was back up to four so i was really excited about about that um but yeah the building from the ground up that was that was pretty pretty rough yeah. um but i learned the most and i also learned how to you know train them up to mm-hmm. be senior assistants mm-hmm. even if they didn't want to take the test or whatnot uh just build them to be as strong as they can be so you can step back and the building would continuously run as it always had yeah and and you don't have to be there all the time yeah 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 delegating and knowing that the job will be done that's um, versus (laughs) yes that's beauty and that's that's i finally learned that and they are such a good team i hope i hope they all come back but um it gave me a lot of opportunity to go and be a part of other SWAT teams uh, because my team was so strong and I can, you know, step away and, yeah. and then the building. That's the great part, isn't it? It's being able to, to go and, and you can take comfort in knowing, okay, everything's going to be fine. Everybody knows what they're doing. You know, I'm a huge yeah. believer in, in ownership. Like I love giving yeah. my people ownership of whatever it is that they want ownership of. And, and I found, I mean, mm-hmm. look, we can all agree that for a very long time, movie theaters were not the highest paying job, right? You could go somewhere else and probably right. make a lot more money. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a fun job, obviously, you know, with the people and, and just the different things that we do and stuff like that. But then over what I've learned is really even even when you're not paying them fantastic money, like we're all working hard to change that, but even when you're not paying them great money, when you give them ownership, they end up working harder for you because they feel yeah. a pride in what they're doing and they feel responsible mm-hmm. for what it is and they know their name is on that. And ultimately it does develop them. And look, not everybody is gonna become a general manager and that's okay, but mm-hmm. I take a lot of uh, pride in even if somebody doesn't become a GM, I know I've sort of sent them out into the world with a better set of skills, you know, to do whatever, right. do, yeah. you know, because you really do gain a lot of skills and not just, you know, admin work, but face-to-face interactions with customers. And, um, I was fortunate enough to have a Sam become a GM and run her own building. And it's awesome to see, how great she is and mm-hmm. what she does. So I take pride in watching her grow and the fact that she wants to move on and be a part of different kinds of buildings is pretty exciting for me. So it's like, even though I'm not moving on, I'll get to see her do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's great. I mean, I've seen one of my uh, former assistants at one point got promoted past me. And and look, you can you can, feel weird about it or you can take pride in knowing, well, I produced that person, you know, Um, that guy actually ran the palace for a little while. He's not with the company anymore. So, but, um, but you know, I, I just think there's a lot to be said, you know, whatever. Um, But so you, (laughs) you brought up customers, which segues nicely into what I want to talk about a little bit too, since that's the half the the point of the podcast is, so talk Mm -hmm. to me about, I guess I want to talk about a couple things. One is how do you train your people on when it comes to guest service and, and maybe dealing with the, the more challenging of guests, the ones that we call Karens, you know, like 
what, what is your method for how you train people on how to respond to that kind of stuff? Um, my big thing is empathy. Like mm -hmm. I had, you know, opportunities where, uh, they just, the customers just don't feel like they're being heard. And sometimes they, they come in in such a bad mood that they're going to take it out on the first friendly face that they see. And my thing was after learning this myself, you can't take it personally. Like chances are they're not even really mad at you. They're just mad at something that set them off. And sure. you know, they just, you know, wanted to, to take it out or, or put it on you. Yeah. And, um, I just, I have a big thing with, empathy. Like I, I want to know why they feel the way that they do. And I know a lot of people just don't take the time to hear that. Yeah. So, uh, why do you think that that's is? what I, I don't know. Um, talking to my assistants, it's not that they don't care. I, I think that for them, it was mostly scared that they couldn't make them feel better mm -hmm. um, or they being intimidated because mm -hmm. they're coming you know they're trying to help this person who has a really big attitude um and they they just don't know if it's going to be worse <laughs> yeah yeah if it's gonna escalate yeah that does escalate i mean it escalates to me too like there are times when i'm just like i don't know what else to do and i need to step back and ask another assistant like hey maybe you'll have better luck yeah like so there are times when i've had to step back too but the biggest thing with my team is empathy kind of just hear and let them talk it out and find out what you can do to help them and then just do that yeah but there are situations where you can't help them like they're mad about policies that you cannot change mm -hmm. uh and the answers you give them are not good enough and mm -hmm. they will leave unhappy. But at the same time, it's like, okay, team, you need to help them when there is a guest concern, because if not, it's going to come back around to where this leader will have to help them eventually. Right. One way or another. And, yeah. yeah. One way or another, I'm addressing it. Yeah. And, um, and that's the same thing with guests that, uh, don't want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they want to talk to, the person in charge your, it's like yeah. well, that is me well right. i want to talk to your boss, your boss. i'm like okay you you can you can certainly talk to him but he's just going to direct you back to me yeah. so i can either help you now today or i can Three help days you from around. Yeah. yeah yeah that you sound a little like mr casey because uh <laughs> you know, my whole, i've known him for over half my life now and and the thing that'll come mm -hmm. out of his mouth all the time is like look you can help the guests, but one way or another, the guest is going to get help. So if you don't, I will, but let's just agree yeah. now that you're going to be the one. That, and I'm paraphrasing him, but I mean, that's, that's his mindset. And I get it. Like we're in the job of taking yeah. care of our guests, you know? Yeah. We're, we're the job and I love making people happy if I can. And it really upsets me when I can't make them happy, but I've also learned to, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Like yeah. I, if I know that I did absolutely everything I could do to make it right at that time, there's, it's out of my hands. Yeah. Well, you and can't so, bat a thousand either, you know? Yeah. I just, I think it's, it's impossible to be perfect, especially the longer you're in it's it, impossible. you know? And, yeah. and I do think, you know, and I mean, you've been in it for a while now. Like, have you seen things shift at all? Like in the, in the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the extreme behavior that we see from guests sometimes. Um, in, in my theater experience, yes. Um, when I took over, uh, the theater that I'm at now, the, the clientele is so different. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's either I'm not meeting their expectations or my theater's not meeting their expectations, which I definitely want to know and address. But at the same time, I've had uh, certain customers want to talk to the guy in charge oh, or they'll, they'll yeah. so it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of that where they, you know, they see me and they're like, 
well, who's the man in charge? And it's like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is 2019 know, or 2020. So it's been, it's been some of that, but at the same time, like as the amenities change and as the convenience factor is changing, like people have bigger expectations and it's us evolving with the clientele mm -hmm. and I, I think most recently it's mostly that where yeah. people you know they want everything's at a touch of your hands or, or a push of yeah. a button yeah and if we're not moving fast enough or those lines are not moving fast enough we need to adjust mm -hmm. and so with my clientele they they don't like to wait so mm -hmm. we need to pick it up and, and that's where you know, a lot of our guest concerns would yeah. come from. There's a sophistication change, I think, you know, over the, I think people have just become a little bit more sophisticated as technology has grown, you know, especially younger people, you know, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I was playing with cardboard and masking tape and making things out of that. Now you've got kids who <laughs> figure everything out. Yeah. And so I think, I think as guests have become more sophisticated and things have become more immediate, that definitely changes things. Um, Jeff Stone used to talk a lot about, you have uh, assumed, expected, and bonus benefits. I don't know if you've ever heard this, yeah. this speech from CCSU, yeah. right? And <clears throat> so many things now that used to be really seriously bonus benefits of coming to see a movie are all now just assumed benefits. Like you should just assume that this theater is going to have reserved seating and a bar and recliners and all of this stuff because so many of us and God help you if, if something doesn't work right, you know, or. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I'm one of the locations that doesn't have recliners and you, I mean, you, you would know this too. Like you walk in, you're like, you don't have recliners? Oh, sorry, yeah. but you're the only location. Yes. Nope, yes. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Reserve so has been an issue where my clientele did not love it. Hmm. They were not on board with it. And I mean, who knows? Who knows what it's gonna be like later? <laughs> yeah, when I opened my last theater, you know, it, it opened as a recliner location. We had people coming in who were really pissed off about it. And like, and, I, and, and especially the reserve seating, you know, you get guests who call it assigned seating. It's like, look, I didn't tell you yeah. where to sit. You got to choose where you sit. But they get really yeah. upset about it. And I was able to say, well, there's another theater. We have another theater like 10 minutes away that isn't reserved and doesn't have recliners. So maybe that would be a better fit for you. <laughs> you know, it's right. nice when you can do that. But like where I'm at now, both my theater and my other the other theater we have in town were both reclined and so we don't have that you know ability to be like well you could choose that or choose this it's like you're getting whatever you get or you're going to go to a, a competitor i guess you know um but yeah i do think it's that the the immediacy of everything that has kind of caused an uptick i think in, in how we see uh people reacting and i also think and this is a common theme from a lot of other guests is that uh the social media aspect of things and keyboard warriors mm -hmm. where people can just sit there and and spout off without any repercussions i think oh, people man, have learned brutal, <laughs> right? but people have learned that yeah. you can kind of get away with that even in a customer service environment where they can yell and scream at you and they know at the end of the day is there really much you can do to me because i just yelled at you no you have to sit there and take it because if you don't i'm gonna go tell your boss that you were rude to me because how many, how many contact us's have you ever gotten where it's less about whatever the issue at hand was and it was more about, well, you were rude. Well, no, you only think I was rude because I had to enforce a policy that you didn't like. Right. I, I didn't give you the answer that you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. I've had a couple of those too. And, and when it, the guest concern has, you were rude in there, I just I hope and pray like my boss knows me mm -hmm. like a lot of people know me so hopefully they understand that I wasn't being right and if I was I hope I'm better next time yeah. that's all I can say Man, like it happens yeah. it's funny I think but the I time I actually was rude I I didn't get called out for it but then there was <laughs> but then there was times that I wasn't I mean it's not like I I'm on a mission to be rude and it hasn't happened right no, this one is. <laughs> but you know if you, you can only yell at me so much before again I'm human before I'm gonna have 
a reaction to it. And I try to mitigate yeah. my reactions mm-hmm. to that and, and not have a, an emotional response to that kind of stuff. And I've gotten better mm-hmm. over the years because when I was young. I've gotten better. Yeah. It, it, it certainly practice. You have to mm-hmm. be in th- those situations to grow from it. Yeah. And I've certainly learned uh, to not take it personally and just to do better next time if a change needs to happen. So, um, and that's when I tell my people, look, you're not going to make people happy all of the time, but I would like you guys to come from a place of, well, what did we learn from that? Mm-hmm. And then make those adjustments there. So, yeah. Do you find that's one of the, the more challenging things to teach your people is, is um, how to mitigate those, those escalated concerns without getting emotional inside about it? Um, the younger ones, mm-hmm. the, the younger assistants, because, uh, the, the younger ones are more emotional, mm-hmm. um, about stuff and, and they're learning too. So, um, I just tell them to take a step back and be careful of, you know, the words that you say, the words that are coming out of your mouth, your body language, your tone. Yeah. The tone, tone is, is really huge. Yeah. It's really huge. Um, so if you keep all of those in mind, and I also say those things in manager meetings, when I open it up and let them have a group discussion, like when you're with your team or you're with your staff members, you need to make sure that, you know, how does my face look? My body language, is that giving up, giving off a wrong vibe or, and, and then the words too, because I firmly believe that you can say what you want to say like you can convey it in a certain way and it be received better versus having that tone or, or that kind of body language that makes your words worse. Absolutely. So, yeah. so that's what they have, they're, they're learning, they've tried to do. And I, I think it serves them well, but um, when, you know, they have those experiences where they feel personally attacked, it's mostly just trying to, uh, make sure that they don't take it personally. Um, and that takes practice to learn for it them. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned that your that younger assistants or just younger people can be a little bit more sensitive. I think really society in general has become a little bit more sensitive to that kind of thing. And yeah. one of the things I teach in, in orientation green light is, you know, I'll talk to people about being genuine in your tone. You know, you, you talk a lot about tone and, and being genuine is very important because, and the example that I always use is, is if you have a significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever, have you ever been in an argument and then you say, sorry, like, how does that usually go? You know what I mean? And so that's like the best example I can think of when it comes to tone because it doesn't go well right and so if you tell a customer sorry or even better well have a nice day you know you know that have a nice day is fuck you you know that's what they mean no don't do that shit you know yeah that's a good get i'm gonna definitely make sure that that's brought up too because that is so true like you want to make sure you take the snarkiness out of it and when you're saying those words mean them yeah exactly you know show that concern Mm -hmm. because that's I believe that most cases, that's what they, the guest wants to hear. Like they, they want to hear that you, that you get it, you understand, yeah. you want, you get it. And, and maybe that, the, maybe they even know that you won't be able to make those changes in a way where they think, okay, yeah, they addressed it, but at least they feel like they're trying. Yeah. And that's important. Exactly. So. Well, guess what? That was an hour. Was that really? I know. I told you. <laughs> I told you. And I think that ends on a, and on a really good note. So um, I had a great time. I thought this was a, an awesome conversation. So really appreciate it. This was it. fun. Good. I was so nervous before we started this. So I was like, that felt like nothing. <laughs> you did great. You did great. So let's try to do this again sometime, all right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye, Bye everybody. That's the podcast, folks. If you're a fan of Karen Isn't Always Right, you can show your support in two ways. First, please share with your friends and get them listening. Also, please feel free to donate by going to anchor.fm forward slash chris-fry, that's F-R-E-Y, forward slash support. 
please visit kairpodcast.com, K-I-A-R podcast.com, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. New episodes are posted weekly on kairpodcast.com, anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple, and pretty much wherever you can listen to a podcast. The views and opinions on this podcast are solely that of the guest and the host and are not representative of any organizations or individuals. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da.